Section 12 of Holidays at Roselands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bridget Gage. Holidays at Roselands by Martha Finley. Chapter 8, Part 2. She was roused ere long by the sound of a carriage driving up to the door, and the thought flashed upon her. He is not gone yet, and I may see him once more. And springing to her feet, she ran downstairs to find the rest of the family in the hall, taking leave of her father. He was just stooping to give Enna a farewell kiss, as his little daughter came up. He did not seem to notice her, but was turning away. When Enna said, "'Here is Elsie. Aren't you going to kiss her before you go?' He turned round again, to see those soft hazel eyes, with their mournful, pleading gaze, fixed upon his face. He never forgot that look. It haunted him all his life. He stood for an instant looking down upon her, while that mute, appealing glance still met his, and she ventured to take his hand in both of hers and press it to her lips. But he turned resolutely away, saying, in his calm, cold tone, No, Elsie is a stubborn, disobedient child. I have no caress for her. A moan of heart-breaking anguish burst from Elsie's pale and trembling lips, and covering her face with her hands, she sank down upon the doorstep, vainly struggling to suppress the bitter, choking sobs that shook her whole frame. But her father was already in the carriage, and hearing it begin to move, she hastily dashed away her tears, and strained her eyes to catch the last glimpse of it as it whirled away down the avenue. It was quite gone, and she rose up and sadly re-entered the house. "'I don't pity her at all,' she heard her grandfather say, "'for it is all her own fault, and serves her just right.' But so utterly crushed and heartbroken was she already, that the cruel words fell quite unheeded upon her ear. She went directly to her father's deserted room, and shutting herself in, tottered to the bed, and laying her face on the pillow where his head had rested a few hours before, clasped her arms around it, and wetted it with her tears, moaning sadly to herself all the while. Oh, Papa, my own dear, darling Papa, I shall never, never see you again. Oh, how can I live without you? Who is there to love me now? Oh, Papa, Papa, will you never, never come back to me? Papa, Papa, my heart is breaking, I shall die. From that time the little Elsie drooped and pined, growing paler and thinner by day, her step more languid and her eye more dim till no one could have recognized in her the bright, rosy, joyous child, full of health and happiness, that she had been six months before. She went about the house like a shadow, scarcely ever speaking or being spoken to. She made no complaint, and seldom shed tears now, but seemed to have lost her interest in everything, and to be sinking into a kind of apathy. "'I wish,' said Mrs. Dinsmore one day, as Elsie passed out into the garden, that Horace had sent that child to boarding-school, and stayed at home himself. Your father says he needs him, and as to her, she has grown so melancholy of late, it is enough to give one the vapors just to look at her. "'I am beginning to feel troubled about her,' replied Adelaide, to whom the remark had been addressed. "'She seems to be losing flesh, and strength, too, so fast. The other day I went into her room, and found Fanny crying heartily over a dress of Elsie's, which she was altering.' "'Oh, Miss Adelaide,' she sobbed, "'the child gwine to die for certain.' "'Why, no, Fanny,' I said. "'What makes you think so? "'She is not sick.' "'But she shook her head, saying, 
Just look a here, Miss Adelaide, showing me how much she was obliged to take the dress in to make it fit. And then she told me Elsie had grown so weak that the least exertion overcame her. I think I must write to Horace. Oh, nonsense, Adelaide, said her mother. I wouldn't trouble him about it. Children are very apt to grow thin and languid during the hot weather, and I suppose fretting after him makes it affect her rather more than usual. And just now in the holidays she has nothing else to occupy her thoughts. She will do well enough. So Adelaide's fears were relieved, and she delayed writing, thinking that her mother surely knew best. Mrs. Travilla sat in her cool, shady parlor, quietly knitting. She was alone, but the glance she occasionally sent from the window seemed to say that she was expecting someone. Edward is unusually late today, she murmured half aloud. But there he is at last, she added, as her son appeared, riding slowly up the avenue. He dismounted and entered the house, and in another moment had thrown himself down upon the sofa by her side. She looked at him uneasily, for with the quick ear of affection she had noticed that his step lacked its accustomed elasticity, and his voice its cheerful, hearty tones. His orders to the servant who came to take his horse had been given in a lower and more subdued key than usual, and his greeting to herself, though perfectly kind and respectful, was grave and absent in manner, and now his thoughts seemed far away, and the expression of his countenance was sad and troubled. "'What ails you, Edward? Is anything wrong, my son?' she asked, laying her hand on his shoulder, and looking into his face with her loving, motherly eyes. "'Nothing with me, mother,' he answered affectionately. "'But,' he added, with a deep-drawn sigh, "'I am sorely troubled about my little friend. I called at Roselands this afternoon, and learned that Horace Dinsmore has gone north. To be absent nobody knows how long, leaving her at home. He has been gone nearly a week.' and the child is heartbroken. "'Poor darling! Is she really so much distressed about it, Edward?' his mother asked, taking off her spectacles to wipe them, for they had suddenly grown dim. "'You saw her, I suppose?' "'Yes, for a moment,' he said, struggling to control his feelings. "'Mother, you would hardly know her for the child she was six months ago. She is so changed, so thin and pale. But that is not the worst. She seems to have lost all her life in animation.' I felt as though it would be a relief even to see her cry. When I spoke to her she smiled, it is true. But, ah, uh, such a sad, hopeless, dreary sort of smile. It was far more touching than tears. And then she turned away, as if she had scarcely heard or understood what I said. Mother, you must go to her. She needs just the sort of comfort you understand so well how to give, but which I know nothing about. You will go, mother, will you not?' "'Gladly, Edward, I would go this moment, if I thought I would be permitted to see her, and could do her any good.' "'I hardly think,' said her son, "'that even Mrs. Dinsmore would refuse you the privilege of a private interview with the child, should you request it, mother. But no doubt it would be much pleasanter for all parties, if we could go when Elsie is at home alone. And fortunately such will be the case to-morrow, for as I accidentally learned, the whole family, with the exception of Elsie and the servants, are expecting to spend the day abroad.' "'So if it suits you, mother, we will drive over in the morning.' Mrs. Travilla expressed her readiness to do so, and about the middle of the forenoon of the next day their carriage might have been seen turning into the avenue at Roselands. Pomp came out to receive the visitors. "'Very sorry, Massa and Missus,' he said, making his best bow to them, as they alighted from the carriage. "'Daddy family am all from home, with the single exception of little Miss Elsie. But if you will be pleased to walk into the drawing-room, 
and rest yourselves. I will call for suitable refreshments, and Fanny shall be instantly dispatched to bring de young lady down. No, thank you, Pomp, replied Mr. Travilla, presently. We are not at all in want of refreshments, and my mother would prefer seeing Miss Elsie in her own room. I will step into the drawing-room, mother, until you come down again, he added in an undertone to her. Pomp was about to lead the way, but Mrs. Travilla gently put him aside, saying that she would prefer to go alone, and had no need of a guide. She found the door of Elsie's room standing wide to admit the air, for the weather was now growing very warm indeed, and looking in, she perceived the little girl, half reclining upon a sofa, her head resting on the arm, her hands clasped in her lap, and her sad, dreamy eyes, tearless and dry, gazing mournfully into vacancy, as though her thoughts were far away, following the wanderings of her absent father. She seemed to have been reading, or trying to read, but the book had fallen from her hand, and lay unheeded on the floor. Mrs. Travilla stood for several minutes gazing with tearful eyes at the melancholy little figure, marking with an aching heart the ravages that sorrow had already made in the wan child face, then stealing softly in, sat down by her side, and took the little forlorn one into her kind motherly embrace, laying the weary little head down on her breast. Elsie did not speak, but merely raised her eyes for an instant to Mrs. Travilla's face, with the dreary smile her son had spoken of, and then dropped them again with a sigh that was half a sob. Mrs. Travilla pressed her quivering lips on the child's forehead, and a scalding tear fell on her cheek. Elsie started, and again raising her mournful eyes, said in a husky whisper, "'Don't, dear Mrs. Travilla, don't cry. I never cry now.' "'And why not, darling? Tears are often a blessed relief to an aching heart, and I think it would do you good. These dry eyes need it.' "'No, no, I cannot. They are all dried up, and it is well, for they always displeased my papa.' There was a dreary hopelessness in her tone, and in the mournful shake of her head that was very touching. Mrs. Travilla sighed, and pressed the little form closer to her heart. "'Elsie, dear,' she said, "'you must not give way to despair. Your troubles have not come by chance. You know, darling, who has sent them. And remember, it is those whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth. And he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger for ever. "'Is he angry with me?' she asked fearfully. "'No, dearest, it is all sent in love. We cannot see the reason now, but one day we shall, when we get home to our father's house.' for then everything will be made plain. It may be, Elsie dear, that you, by your steady adherence to the right, are to be made the honored instrument in bringing your father to a saving knowledge of Christ. You would be willing to suffer a great deal for that, dear child, would you not, even all you are suffering now? Ah, yes, indeed, she said earnestly, clasping her hands together. But I am afraid it is not that. I am afraid it is because I loved my papa too well, my dear, dear papa, and God is angry with me, and now I shall never, never see him again. She groaned aloud, and covered her face with her hands, and now the tears fell like rain, and her whole frame shook with convulsive sobs. Mrs. Travilla hailed this outburst of grief with deep thankfulness, knowing that it was far better for her than that unnatural apathy, and that when the first violence of the storm had subsided, the aching heart would find itself relieved of half its load. She gently soothed the little weeper, until she began to grow calm again, and the sobs were almost hushed, and the tears fell softly and quietly. Then she said, in low, tender tones, "'Yes, my darling, you will see him again. I feel quite sure of it. God is the hearer of prayer, 
and he will hear yours for your dear father. And will he send my papa back to me? Will he come soon? Do you think he will, dear Mrs. Travilla? she asked eagerly. I don't know, darling. I cannot tell that. But one thing we do know, that it is all in God's hands, and he will do just what is best for you and your father. He may see fit to restore you to each other in a few weeks or months, and I hope and trust he will. But however that may be, darling, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, Your father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. He will not send you any unnecessary trial, nor allow you to suffer one pang that you do not need. It may be that he saw you were loving your earthly father too well, and has removed him from you for a time, that thus he may draw you nearer to himself. But never doubt for one moment, dear one, that it is all done in love. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. They are the dear Saviour's own words. When Mrs. Travilla at length rose to go, Elsie clung to her tearfully, entreating that she would stay a little longer. I will, dear child, since you wish it so much, said the lady, resuming her seat, and I will come again very soon, if you think there will be no objection. But, Elsie, dear, can you not come to Ion, and spend the rest of your holidays with us? Both Edward and I would be delighted to have you, and I think we could make you happier than you are here. I cannot tell you how very much I should like it, dear Mrs. Travilla, but it is quite impossible, Elsie answered, with a sorrowful shake of the head. I am not allowed to pay or receive visits any more. Papa forbade it some time ago. Ah, indeed, I am very sorry, dear, for I fear that cuts me off from visiting you, said Mrs. Travilla, looking much disappointed. However, she added more cheerfully, I will get my son to write to your papa, and perhaps he may give you permission to visit us. No, ma'am, I cannot hope that he will, replied Elsie sadly. Papa never breaks his word, or changes his mind. Ah, well, dear child, said her friend tenderly, there is one precious blessing of which no one can deprive you, the presence and love of your Saviour, and if you have that, no one can make you wholly miserable. And now, dear child, I must go, she added, again clasping the little girl to her heart, and kissing her many times. God bless and keep you, darling, till we meet again, and we will hope that time will come ere long. Mr. Travilla was waiting to hand his mother into the carriage. Neither of them spoke until they had fairly left Rosalind's behind them, but then he turned to her with an anxious, inquiring look, to which she replied, "'Yes, I found her in just the state you described, poor darling, but I think I left her a little happier, or rather, I should say, a little less wretched than I found her. Edward, Horace Dinsmore does not know what he is doing. That child's heart is breaking.' He gave an assenting nod, and turned away to hide his emotion." Can you not write to him, Edward, and describe the state she is in, and beg him, if he will not come home, at least to permit us to take her to Ion for a few weeks? she asked, laying her hand on his arm. I will do so, mother, if you think it best, Mr. Travilla replied. But I think I know Horace Dinsmore better than you do, and that such a proceeding would do more harm than good. He is very jealous of anything that looks like interference, especially between him and his child, and I fear it would only irritate him and make him, if possible, still more determined. Were I asked to describe his character in a few words, I should say he is a man of indomitable will. Well, my son, perhaps you are right, said his mother, heaving a deep sigh. And if so, I can see nothing more we can do but pray for the little girl. Mrs. Travilla was right in thinking that her visit had done Elsie good. It had roused her out of the torpor of grief into which she had sunk 
It had raised her from the depths of despair, and shown her the beacon light of hope still shining in the distance. This last blow had come with such crushing weight that there had seemed to be no room left in her heart for a thought of comfort. But now her kind friend had reminded her of the precious promises, and the tender love that were still hers, love far exceeding that of any earthly parent, love that was able even to bring light out of all this thick darkness, love which was guiding and controlling all the events of her life, and would never allow her to suffer one unnecessary pang, but would remove the trial as soon as its needed work was done, and she was now no longer altogether comfortless. When Mrs. Travilla had left, she took up her Bible, that precious little volume, her never-failing comforter, and in turning over its leaves her eye fell upon these words, Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. They sent a thrill of joy to her heart, for was not she suffering for his sake? Was it not because she loved him too well to disobey his commands, even to please her dearly beloved earthly father, that she was thus deprived of one privilege, and one comfort after another, and subjected to trials that wrung her very heart? Yes, it was because she loved Jesus, she was bearing suffering for his dear sake, and here she was taught that even to be permitted to suffer for him was a privilege. And she remembered, too, that in another place it is written, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Ah, those are tears of joy and thankfulness that are falling now. She has grown calm and peaceful, even happy for the time, in the midst of all her sorrow. End of chapter 8